0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock, lead pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Windsor, Ontario. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you to lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Eelman, and today's title is Bill C4 is the Genesis 1 of the Pagan Bible. Aaron, maybe you want to explain that and intro our
1: uh, our talk today a little bit. Well, this past Sunday, thousands of sermons were preached across Canada and across the United States in response to the Canadian Bill, Bill C four. We're very grateful, by the way, for all of our American brethren who uh, issued a call uh, to to uh, pastors within their own country to to stand with us. I was talking to a Christian leader today in the U.S. and I said, hey, "I want to I want to let you know, brother, how thankful we are in Canada to have so many American." friends and brothers in Christ standing with us. So many guys preach sermons on the subject of biblical sexuality in response to this conversion therapy bill, as it's called. And so in this episode, what we want to do is to continue that discussion and to clarify some of the lies that our own government is telling us. This is a Canadian issue, but it's also a Western issue. I know in Australia, there's discussion of a conversion therapy bill Uh, There may be rumblings of that in the United States and in England and whatnot as well in the months and years to come. So this is uh, important for us to stand together as Christians, regardless of your country of origin on this issue. And again, we're going to be talking about this Canadian bill, but the essence of it is likely to take root in other countries as well. So on this podcast, what I'd like to do is to sort of review and further explain the concepts that uh, I preached last last Sunday. That's good. Now, before we get into the meat of the podcast, I should remind our
0: listeners as well that if you have questions related to today's topic or any of our topics, you can now email them to askask at harvestwindsor.ca. We received a few questions last week and we're going to get to those at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. But Yeah. You can email questions to ask at harvestwindsor.ca. If stuff you're listening to, you want further clarification on, we might be able to cover it in a future show. So Aaron, the title of this podcast is kind of interesting. Uh, Bill C4 is the Genesis one of the pagan Bible. Can you explain why that title?
1: Well, on Sunday, when I was preaching to our church here in Windsor, I went through several biblical passages to sort of lay out the foundation of a biblical view of human sexuality. But one of the comments I made is that when I, when I started off my sermon, I wanted to take some time to help people to actually understand Bill C-4. And essentially, when I was reading Bill C-4 and sort of getting ready to comment on it, it, it dawned on me that this is very much of a religious bill – and in that respect, I'm I'm used to exegeting biblical passages, but in some respects, we can exegete uh, Bill C4 as well, because it it has within it a, a series of lies, uh, but they're promoted as truths that echo, but an actual fact are in contradiction to Genesis chapter one. So in Genesis chapter one, as a presupposition, as a presupposition right at the beginning. You know, in the beginning, God. Mm-hmm. So we have this presupposition that there's, there's an authority, a divine authority that exists beyond the created world, that existed in advance of the created world. He doesn't try to prove his own existence in Genesis 1.1. He just is. And upon the presupposition of his existence, we're then exposed to this creational account of how God created the world in six lunar days. Mm-hmm. And so we were introduced to authority, to the, the the source of life, to our creator in Genesis one. And then we're introduced to mankind. And right at the beginning of mankind, uh, of, our, of the Bible's description of mankind, there's comments on our sexuality. We're made male and female. We're made in the image and likeness of God, etc. So we have, a source of authority identified in Genesis one. And we have clear comments and instructions in, in Genesis chapter one that define who we are and speak specifically to our sexuality. Well, in many respects, that's exactly what Bill C4 is trying Mm -hmm. to do. Bill C4 contains no definition of conversion therapy that, that one would assume would be there. So Bill C4 doesn't say, "Hey, this bill is to protect people from having wires hooked up to them and zapped and tortured in order to convert from homosexuality to heterosexuality." If that was happening in our country, I would oppose it as well. And there might be a place for for a, a conversion therapy bill, but that's that's not what's happening in Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's not how the bill reads. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have heard about the bill, but they haven't actually read the bill. And the bill does not speak to that issue. It doesn't speak to matters of torture or coercion. It makes, it, it innately is bestowing upon the state, government leaders in particular, authority to define moral categories. And then it is defining Over and against the word of God. It's defining a a pagan view of humanity in relationship to our sexuality. And in doing so, it's declaring the Bible, the biblical creational view of sexuality to be a myth. And so in that respect, there's no question about the fact that what makes Bill C4 rather unique is it is explicitly and unapologetically a religious bill Mm -hmm. that attacks and denigrates the content of scripture and presents a pagan view, a godless view of human sexuality and divine authority.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we'll see that later. I know you're going to get into a bit into what Bill C4 actually says, but the thing that pops to my mind is it, it, it basically seeks to refute anyone propagating myths and then lays out what those myths would be involving, yes. right? So uh, on Sunday, you started off with Genesis 1, 26 to 28, uh, and outlined the various creational truths that are being
1: undermined in that passage. Uh, can you review that with us here? Yeah, so what I wanted people to understand is that all, all of the declarative statements in Genesis 1, as it pertains to human identity and calling and sexuality, are being undermined in this radical, godless culture within which we live. So in Genesis 1, 26 to 28, it declares that we're made in the image and likeness of God. That, of course, has been attacked by Darwinian theory, which says we're not made in the image and likeness of God. We're not eternally valuable. We're just created by, or we just came about by chance. A series of random uh, events took place. Life just sort of popped into being, depending on how you date it, maybe 14 billion years ago, according to the Darwinians. And over time we got to this point. So the fact that we're made in the image and likeness of God has long been under attack by Darwinian theory. We're told in Genesis one that we have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, the livestock that of course is under attack by status that would take our call to be stewards and co-regents with God in terms of governing and managing creation. It's also under attack by the radical environmentalists who would feel quite comfortable reducing the human population and trying to save the world, even to the degree that they would consider hu- human existence on the planet to be sort of expendable or sort of a nuisance mm-hmm. to the created order. So we have the status, the radical environmentalists attacking this, stewardship that God has given us over creation. We're also told in Genesis one26 to 28, that we're made male and female. God is very clear on that. Male and female, he created them. But the radical LGBTQ group groups, legislation like Bill C4 would declare that creational statement, that biblical statement to be mythological, that there are multiple genders, that gender is not concrete The gender is not objective, the gender, your sex is not biologically evident, but it's something you choose. It's something that's assigned to you and you can unassign whatever label's been given to you later in life. You can choose whatever gender or sex is preferable for you. So that's under attack, which really we want to talk about primarily today and then the creational call to be fruitful and multiply that's under attack by the uh, you know population control police it's also under attack by the abortion industry which would essentially have us believe that children are an inconvenience so there all 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 that god says is true and righteous and pure and holy humanity when they remove themselves, when they fail to acknowledge God's supremacy over them, God's laws over them, God's word over them, God's principles over them, always recreate their own quote unquote truths, which are lies, because they do not want to subject themselves to God's word. So you don't, you don't need a degree in advanced Christian apologetics, or to have read 55 books on cultural theology to observe that there is a full out assault on creational norms, on the patterns and principles and rules that God put in place to govern creation. And one of the most egregious and recent examples of that is bill C4 and it's declaration that the the principles that we read in, Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two are in fact mythological.
0: Well, I think just now would probably be the best time to actually go through a little bit of Bill C4 and to help people just understand what it actually says. If you haven't pulled it up and read it, you should this week. Yeah. But uh, can you like bring us up to speed?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we want to expose Bill C4's lies. And you know, that requires some exegesis of it. So again, not not that I want to keep quali- making this qualification because after a while it gets a little nauseating. I shouldn't even have to make this qualification as a Christian pastor. But if, 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 if there were people grabbing, let's say homosexuals, throwing them into the dark rooms, shocking them, zapping them, whipping them, beating them, abusing them physically and saying, you, you got to cut this out. You got to become heterosexual if If that's what conversion therapy meant that there was a coercive physical attack on homosexuals or lesbians to forcibly quote unquote convert them to heterosexuality, then we would be having a different conversation today.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's the n- narrative that many naive Christians have embraced. That's what they think Bill C4 is supposed to be mitigating against because they haven't read it. And we would would be having a different conversation, but that's not what conversion, that's not what this bill is about. The the title conversion therapy really is is a bad title because if you read it, it specifically says, I'm just going to quote directly from it, it. It defines conversion therapy this way, quote, a practice treatment or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual that goes on to say, so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth to repress or reduce non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior. So if we just pause there, there's a lot of lies in that definition of conversion therapy. Mm-hmm. Uh, to summarize it, first of all, because there's a lot of words there I've just presented, it's essentially saying any attempt, a practice, a treatment, a service, it's, those are pretty expansive words. I think they're just wanting to leave it to the courts to decide, does that include a church service, a sermon, this podcast, who knows? Not that we c- would care that much because we're gonna preach the truth regardless of the consequences. And we're going to talk about the reason for that later, but it talks about a person's sexual orientation. So when, when the bill uses language like your orientation, that's sort of morally neutral language that would have us think and believe that the sexual behavior that you gravitate towards, that you Orient yourself towards, think of a compass, a compass is orienting you in a northward direction or a southward direction or east or westerly direction. Your orientation is sort of morally neutral, stacked on top of that. We have it contrasted with heterosexuality. So the the bill is, is challenging the belief that heterosexuality is the norm. It's saying heterosexuality is not the norm. It's not preferred by by any measure. And then there's this interesting statement that your sex is assigned to you at birth. So when you're born up until recently in, in Ontario, you, you can put male, female, or n- not even fill it in when a baby's born. I've been told my sister-in-law just had a baby and there's this option just to kind of leave the gender blank, mm-hmm. the sex blank. Um, what... The presupposition that they're trying to present to you, which is in fact a lie, is that your sex is, quote unquote, assigned to you at birth. That's a choice word. That's a preference word. That's a subjective word. Now think about this, Chris. Y- you saw four of your children born. I saw five of my children born. When, when your child comes out into the world, out of their mother's body into the world, you observe the child, if the child has male sex organs, it's a male. If a child has female sex organs, it's a female. I understand that there are glitches, just like in all biological functions, you can be born with heart problems. You can be born with missing limbs. I understand that in very rare circumstances, there's glitches genetically and you know the, the child might be born with two different, uh, it might be born with male parts on the outside and female parts on the inside, okay, but notwithstanding that, you can obviously study the chromosomes to determine even in that situation if a Mm -hmm. hermaphrodite is a boy or girl, but notwithstanding those glitches, we're talking about the norm, we're -hmm. talking about the norm. When babies come out, you observe the sex organs, and nobody in the room says, um. Yeah, well the child has a penis, but we're going to assign it. Okay, what do we let's take a vote? Okay, we'll we'll say it's a boy, we'll say it's a male. Um, or we'll take a vote, let's 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 declare this child to be a female. That's a myth. It doesn't happen. Nobody's in a you observe and you recognize or you acknowledge mm-hmm. the factuality, the objectivity. The truthfulness of that child's sex. Nobody assigns it at birth. But what this bill does is it it premises itself on this lie. And what it does is it subjectifies, it subjectifies human sexuality, which everybody who has half a brain knows is a lie. But for some reason, because of the futility of the human mind, because we're tra- people are by nature sinners kind of Romans 1 theology mm-hmm. people actually believe this stuff that your your sex was assigned to you at birth that well somebody decided that I was a male but I, I'm 16 now and I'm deciding I'm a female right. or I'm whatever other new gender they've they've um, come up with now, not only then is it based upon this myth that your gender is subjective, but it's actually a religious bill and that it makes a moral claim. It denounces Judeo-Christian mor- morality as a myth. It goes on to say, whereas conversion therapy causes harm to society. Okay, that's a judgment, a moral judgment mm-hmm. state, statement there. Because among other things, it, and this is the shocking, this is probably the most shocking statement in the bill. It's based on and propagates myths and stereotypes about sexual orientation, gender identity, and gender expression. And if you ask, well, what myth are we talking about? Listen to this. Including the myth that heterosexuality, cisgender, gender identity, which is the sex assigned at birth, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned at birth are to be preferred. Again, the word preferred there is to subjectify gender. Mm -hmm. It's another choice word. Yep. It's deliberately inserted over other sexual orientations, sexual identities, and gender expressions. So it literally is saying when exegeted and quote unquote exposited this religious text, Bill C4, that the notion that heterosexuality, that you are male or female, and that male and females come together in sexual union and marriage and then reproduce, that this is the norm, mm-hmm. this, is, this is creational, this is how God has designed us, that's a myth. So it's, it's a direct attack on the Judeo-Christian scriptures. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a frontal assault. And then it also is dangerous, Chris, in that if you think about it, when it says that it's a myth... That heterosexuality is be preferred over other sexual orientations. Notice sexual orientations has an s on the end; it's pluralized. Mm-hmm. Gen gender identities is pluralized. Gender expression. So the 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 danger of this bill is that it 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 puts no limits on whatever sexual expressions sexual orientations a person wants to participate in. Most people are thinking of homosexuality or transgenderism for adults. There's nothing in this that puts any checks and balances on bestiality, incest, or pedophilia. Mm -hmm. What if I'm oriented towards children or animals or my sister? I mean, it's horrible to think about these things. One might say, yeah, but those are banned by law. You're not allowed to have sex with an animal or to be involved in an incestuous relationship or to abuse children. I understand that, but it's not going to take too long before someone says, wait, why can't I participate in activities when Bill C4 acknowledges that every sexual orientation, every gender expression, every gender identity is legitimate. Mm -hmm. So if you're saying it's innate, if, if it's okay for me to have a pedophilic orientation then why can't I practice it too? And what's interesting is you think about the age of consent, which I think might be like 16 or something like that.
0: Or 14.
1: 14, 16, something like that. Well, it's not going to take much to drop that to 12 because at 12 you can get a jab without parental consent. At 12 you can get an abortion without parental consent. Read the uh, um, website for Planned Parenthood in Toronto. Twelve-year-old can come, a twelve-year-old girl can come in and have an abortion without parental consent. So, if twelve-year-olds can decide, I can have an abortion without parental consent. I can get vaccinated without parental consent. I don't even need to tell my parents. It's not going to take too long for the pedoph- pedophiles to wake up and say, "Well, then well, why can't I have? S- why can't a fifty-five-year-old man have sex with a twelve-year-old girl? When that's his orientation?" And from there, you just keep dropping the age of consent until you normalize it. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 bill that we call bill C4 is is absolutely filled with I would just call it the language of lies that's what I called it in my sermon and it it subjectifies and removes all stigma attached to any other form of sexual identity or expression outside of heterosexuality and just completely removes all barriers and boundaries. There's almost nothing in the bill about, actually there's nothing in the bill about protecting someone from torture. It's all about stopping anyone from trying to change someone else's opinion or desire to to express their sexuality in any way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. So it's really an anti-conversion bill, an anti-Christian conversion bill in that respect, it's a religious text.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It is the Genesis 1 of the pagan Bible. Yeah. Interestingly, part of the Bill C-4-2
0: says there's one, there's one exemption or so that you can be counseled by somebody uh, if they're helping you to discover your identity, essentially, but that person can't come with the preconceived notion that heterosexuality is to be preferred. So basically, they're saying only a certain type of person can even counsel these people and they have to have the worldview that lines up with them.
1: Yeah. Well that, that's bec- that leaves the door open for the radical LGBTQ group to continue to counsel and try to convert heterosexual children to their orientation. Okay. Cause otherwise we could flip it back on them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of uh, not only
0: is it a religious text, but here's the, the religious uh, priests of the, that can,
1: Implement the text, right? The, For sure. Uh, so, in this bill, the high priest is the prime minister and his cabinet, and then the the priesthood is all the MPs, none of which opposed it. Now, there was a few that wanted to, but they didn't have enough time. They said later, but none of, not on record, none of them opposed it. And then we have the uh, the 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 deacons. Of, mm-hmm. of the, the, the new religion, yeah. which is the police officers and maybe the health unit people that are going to be inspecting and policing this kind of stuff and enforcing the rules. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So now that you've exposed the lies of Bill C4 and I think just pointed out to people, hopefully, to even read it carefully and see how many things there are that are lies. I know on Sunday you presented three biblical truths that Christians need to believe. Um, they need to teach. And to live, really, that combat these lies. So I'm going to give them to you, and then we can kind of comment on each one. Uh, so talk to us first about the idea that biblical Christianity confronts sin and offers grace.
1: Well, this is pretty critical to the gospel. There's, there's no repentance until your sins are exposed, and there's no grace. There's no need for grace or mercy until your sins are exposed. So we, we do, as Christians, want to get... To the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness, we want to get there. But in order to get there, people need to first understand their sin, what sin is. And what Bill C4 is attempting to do is to muzzle us from declaring what God has declared to be sinful, sinful. And this is a problem. Now, there are some churches that want to immediately get to the love and the grace and the mercy, so they sort of skip the sin part. They fail to tell people this is a sin. It's like, well, we're just going to have a conversation with you. We're just going to dialogue with you. We're just going to live life with you you know, and hope it all works out. But that's not the biblical model. The biblical model, the biblical pattern is first we confront sin, we expose sin of all sorts, not just sexual sin, but sin of all sorts, and that, that then... Gives us an opportunity to preach grace and mercy. Now, Chris, when you when you kind of think back to the conversations you have with people that are at variance with biblical Christianity, with people that are hostile to to Christ, Christian truths, there there is this this vibe you often get. Sometimes it's not even a vibe. Sometimes it's just flat out said that, "Oh, we're we're standing in the way of." Uh, Sexual expression because we're we're killjoys. We don't want people to have fun. We don't mm-hmm. want people to participate in pleasure. We are, we're kind of prudish. We're we are ghoulish, and now we've been declared to be criminals if we mm-hmm. practice or counsel uh, counsel people to practice what God has designed for them. But actually, the people that are ghoulish and Killjoys are the people that are promoting a sexual agenda that's at variance with biblical Christianity because God's plans are beautiful and pure. But before we understand what God's plans are, we need to be reminded of the sin of homosexuality, bestiality of pretending to be a boy if you're a girl and vice versa. These are sins. I didn't make this up. If you're going to charge me for saying homosexuality is a sin charge god put god on trial put the bible on trial Fi- maybe the, the the crown should file a lawsuit a court case against god the supreme god of the universe this is these are his words mm-hmm. so we don't torture people into obedience but we do debate we persuade we we instruct and if you look at the the examples of scripture it's it's very clear that God, through the apostles, Jesus Christ himself exposes and denounces sexual sin. They don't, Jesus didn't throw people up against a wall and beat them in order to get them to convert, but he did preach truth. Mm -hmm. He, you know, Matthew 18, he exposes adultery and divorce as being, and sexual immorality as being rooted in sin. In Matthew five, mental adultery, when you're you know, undressing a, a person with your, your mind, so to speak, you may not be touching them, but you're fantasizing, that's a sin. In first Corinthians five, he calls the church to expose and to expel anyone who claims to be a Christian, but who's guilty of unrepentant sexual immorality. And so we have these hard statements in scripture Adultery is a sin. Fornication is a sin. Homosexuality is a sin. They're in the Bible. These are God's words. But when a person repents, then the grace and mercy comes out in full force. So I use the illustration of the woman at the well. When Jesus mm-hmm. is with the woman at the well, she'd been married five times and was living with someone. Jesus confronts that sin, he calls her to a new life Mary Magdalene who was filled with demons was forgiven and kind of invited into Jesus inner circle she history tells us she was probably also a prostitute the bible doesn't say that but history tells us she was probably also a former prostitute you think of rahab who ended up in the genealogy of christ and in his humanity was a was a prostitute so don't, I don't I just it's it's bothersome that the world would think want the others to think that we're not into grace and mercy we're big into grace and we're big into mercy but prior to being exposed to grace and mercy you have to repent of your sins mm-hmm. or prior to being a recipient of it I should say of full grace and mercy you have to be c- confronted with your sins so this is why we preach against these things and you know I commented I I do understand there's a place for uh, a state to legislate against certain behaviors. Back, I think up to about the 1960s, sodomy was illegal in Canada. I think there's a, there is a place to legislate against certain forms of sexual deviancy because it's in the best interest of the next generation. It's in the best interest of the person. It's in, it's in the best, best interest of reducing harmful behaviors in a culture. But when it comes to our role as preachers of the gospel, we're not coercing people. We're not manipulating people or torturing people to repent of sin. We're calling them to repent of sin, but they have to understand what the word sin means. Mm -hmm. So this is really, really important. So I I I made this comment on Sunday that we're not out there casting stones. We are basically yelling out, there's a rock slide coming, get out of the way Mm -hmm. (laughs) and calling people to repent, to discipline their lives according to God's commands and to uh, follow God in this regard.
0: Mm-hmm. Now your second point, I think that you made, and it's it's good, it's very controversial in our society, but is uh, that heterosexuality is God's sole plan for humanity in terms of its sexual design
1: that he's created. So can you talk a little bit about that? So our, our heterosexuality is not just the way we express ourselves in bed. But our heterosexuality is who we are. We are male or female. There are two sexes. God created us male and female. So humanity as a whole is heterosexual. There are two sexes that compose all of humanity. And then, of course, the reason why God has created us male and female is to enjoy intimacy in marriage and to reproduce. Mm-hmm after our own kind, just like in the animal world. So your sex then is biological, it's objective, it's unchangeable. There's nothing mythological or stereotypical about that. So what I did was I looked at different texts in scripture that forbid men dressing like women or women dressing like men. And there's debate about what was going on in the original context when Deuteronomy 22.5 was put in place, speaking against men wearing women's apparel and vice versa. There's a lot of different opinions as to whether that was speaking to a, an, a cultic practice, a Canaanite cultic practice that might have been taking place where people were sort of cross-dressed as part of their ritual. Okay, we can debate all, all the, those historical cultural issues, but one thing's sort of clear. Like the bottom line is men are men and women are women. They're, they look different. They're supposed to act different. Men aren't supposed to pretend to be women and women aren't supposed to pretend to be men. Mm-hmm. That's kind of not really argue, not really debatable in that text minimally whatever the cultural background was for a man to pretend to be a woman or vice versa is an abomination to the Lord, which is a pretty weighty word. Mm -hmm. And then we looked at um, first Corinthians six, nine, where it talks about those that won't inherit the kingdom of God. And there's a bit of a list there. What puts a person outside of the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. I didn't make this up. Like it's just there. Whether I like it or don't like it, gravitate toward it or or I'm repulsed by it. If the the creator says it, the creature doesn't apologize for it. Mm -hmm. So we have that statement. And then in Romans 1.26, he chastises women who've given up natural relations with men for those which are contrary to nature. And then in verse 27, for um, men who are committing shameless acts with men when and receiving up due penalty. Well, I, I understand people have tried to pay play some fanciful exegetical gymnastics with this and try to say, well, it's just certain homosexual acts. Like I didn't make this up. This is what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. So if the if the all-powerful state, if if our prime minister and his cabinet and all the MPs want to try to mythologize the scripture, first of all, they should expect pushback. They're pretty dumb if they don't expect Mm -hmm. faithful Christians to push back against this stuff. All they've served, all they've done is galvanize faithful Christians to speak more passionately about it because it's offensive. But these are, these are statements from scripture that heterosexuality is the sole plan for all of humanity and this is why this is why godless people need to mythologize the Bible because it exposes their sin. It exposes their sin. And the most loving thing a person can do is not to hide this revelation from God from someone who is p- participating in a sinful act. The most loving thing you can do because you love that person, you you long for the day when they will repent and find wholeness and freedom in Christ. The most loving thing you can do is to tell them the truth in love. You don't need to be a jerk about it. Mm -hmm. You don't need to yell and holler and spit and scream and be offensive as a person. But you, you speak the truth winsomely in love, but with clarity and urgency so that the world can see what sin is and be and then that opens the door for them, the spirit to move, for them to be convicted of their sin and to repent, put their faith in Christ and to walk away from sinful behavior. So we're not just speaking out against non-heterosexual sins. We're also speaking out against the heterosexual sins of adultery, for example, yep. or premarital That's sex right. or pornography. So it's heterosexuality being God's sole plan for humanity within the boundaries of marriage when it's expressed in sexual intercourse. And for us to understand and to be clear that God made us male and female, Mm -hmm. period. That is the creational norm, the pattern that God has established for us in scripture. And we need to make sure our children understand that, people in our church understands that, that that there's no ambiguity about that.
0: Now, your third point uh, that you made on Sunday, and this, I think, if you haven't had the chance, our listeners, uh, to listen to Sunday's sermon, you need to go back and take a listen to it because I think uh, there was some fun here. But you spoke about the truth that sexuality, uh, some people think biblical sexuality is just smothering, prudish, boring. Yeah. Uh, can you comment on that?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I don't want people to be shy or nervous or cautious about recognizing that God created us male and female. There's a lot of beauty and enjoyment and pleasure surrounding that. So, yeah, we had a bit of fun with that on Sunday. I'm not, it's not my desire to be a shock jock, but I, I I want people to, to know the truth. And even, even in terms of how we often speak about heterosexuality, we, we, um, we're sort of shy and Victorian in many respects in, in how we unpack this. But if you look at Genesis chapter two, when, when Adam, what's, what's interesting about this is when Adam is presented with Eve, who's created from his rib on the sixth day. So he's created on the sixth day. She's created on the sixth day. Prior to that, he's lonely. So he's lonely God creates Eve. And then he says, this at last is bone of my bones. It's like, dude, you've been waiting for maybe an hour. Like what's, what's the rush here. He's lonely on the first day. Finally, Eve's shows up and he's like, finally, she's here. You know, you weren't waiting for a year. You're waiting for a few hours. You're created on the sixth day. So it, but it demonstrates the insatiable desire for companionship. That's, programmed into us as human beings by God. Men need women and women need men in a marital relationship to be complete, period. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way it is. And he goes on to call her woman. She's taken out of man. And then they, they, we have this norm that wouldn't have applied to them because her parents weren't alive. But this commentary for future generations that when they come together in marriage, they, they leave and cleave. They form a new household and they have authority. Uh, unto themselves in that union. And then it says they're both naked and unashamed. So there's that sexual uh, reference as well. They're naked and unashamed. They're, they're not putting on fig leaves yet. They're not trying to hide their sexuality from one other. They're not embarrassed by their sexuality. They, they're enjoying each other. This is God's beautiful, creational ideal. And, and the words that come to mind when you read that are words like unity and complementary and oneness and sexuality and Unashamed. And I just asked my church, like, who wouldn't want to live in a world like that where a man and a woman can be together unashamed, fully recognizing that their ultimate hope is in Christ. Ultimately they rely upon God, but they need each other to be in a sense, all that God has designed them to potentially be. Mm -hmm. So this is why even when it comes to celibacy, the new Testament Recommends celibacy but acknowledges that it's not the norm we're not saying you're abnormal in a negative way if you're celibate or single but the norm is for a man to be joined together with a woman in marriage and that's a beautiful thing so in the sexual union there's intense sexual climactic pleasure and intercourse god created that that's not the world's invention um Men have sexual organs. Women have sexual organs. We're different. And I I commented how it's, it's sad that the more fearful the world gets, the more alienated people get, the more they gravitate to their own gender for sexual expression. Because there's, I think, if you think about it like on, on the level of a psychology of sin, men don't ever fully understand women and women don't fully understand men. But. In Christ, there's beauty in that. There's mystery in that. There's vulnerability in that. There's an acknowledgement that you're not complete by yourself. But in homosexual acts, you're with someone, you're just kind of with your clone. You're with someone that's just sort of like you. There's there's no mystery in that. And in that respect, there's actually selfishness, not selflessness. There is you're pursuing basically yourself. That's really not that much different than self-gratification. Mm. You're, you're pursuing yourself. You're pursuing someone that's like you, that's, that's your sex. Adam pursues Adam or Eve pursues Eve. And I think on a deep level, the one of the reasons why we see a rise in homosexuality is because of fear, because men feel uncomfortable around women and women feel uncomfortable around men. Mm. And because we're pretty good at throwing on fig leaves and hiding our nakedness, there is a sense in which, uh, and I even talked to young Christian men who, who, who want to be with women, but they're like, I'm afraid of women. I don't know how to approach a woman. Maybe they come out of a divorce background. Like I'm kind of scared of the, the prospect of marriage. We see so many young men delaying, delaying, delaying marriage, delaying the pursuit of women because they're, They're afraid. They don't know what to do with a woman. And I'm not talking about sexually. I'm talking about relationally. And then there's a lot of women that are confused as to what a a man even should be in a marital relationship. And a lot of them settle for guys that can't initiate. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of women settle for men that frankly act like women Hmm. that don't want to lead, that don't want to initiate, that don't want to be spiritual overseers, and it just creates this mess and this confusion, this radical sort of egalitarian sickness that is pervasive throughout the Christian church. This is not beauty. Egalitarianism is not beauty. Complementarianism is beauty. Homosexuality is not beauty. Heterosexuality is beauty. Um, vulnerability is beauty, not hypersecurity. Nakedness is beauty, not the shame associated with sexual abuse and, and all the things that are attached to sexual perversion. So uh, God is our creator. He knows what's best for us. He's designed us in a certain way, but unfortunately we, we love to sort of hijack God's role and declare ourselves to be smarter than him as if we somehow engineered ourselves and we, we're recreating humanity. We're recreating definitions of sexuality. And it's, it, it might give individuals a sense that, well, sc- screw the system. I, I'm different. I'm, out, I'm living outside the system. But there's only disease and brokenness and disorientation that comes as a result of living outside of God's plans for us. So um, Satan's having a heyday with this, by the way he the the confusion the ugliness the division the abuse the brokenness the disease that is rampant in our world because of sexual perversion and other sins satan loves this kind of stuff and he's got people by the throat and many people don't even seem to understand that
0: mm-hmm. yeah one of the things i think with bill c4 that approaches my mind anyways is really it's a very discriminatory bill towards those people struggling in sexual sin because they're now the ones that cannot receive help by law, right? So it's like saying, you know, there's cancer out there, and we're gonna outlaw anybody that wants to uh, propagate the myth that I don't know, uh, breast cancer is bad, right? right. And it's like now people that have that cancer can't get the can't get the help that they need. The truth, right?
1: Yeah. Um, so people people there's sort of two categories of sinner, those that have admitted their sin, and they're like, what do I do next? And those that still haven't admitted it. Mm -hmm. So strong biblical preaching helps those that haven't admitted it to understand that they're living in sin. But for those who've already received that message or understood those truths and then want, we have to be careful using the word struggle, which we all use. We have to be careful using the word struggle as a synonym for sin, because it almost makes us seem like victims. But at the same time, when we are sinning actively and we're we're sort of being convicted or we're in the process of repenting and we're wanting to find a way out, it doesn't happen overnight all the time. It'd be mm-hmm. great if it did. So we're someone who's sort of repenting mm-hmm. in the process of repenting. We come in, we fan that flame, we bring the repentance to to a you know a fire mm-hmm. <laughs> to to uh, fullness, and then um, they're positioned for. Healing, you know, and and uh, forgiveness. So many uh, you know, anti-conversion therapy activists have emphasized that they've emphasized that conversion therapy bans those who are seeking help from finding it. I don't want to overemphasize that because that still underemphasizes the sinful acts that people can attrip, uh, participate in. But but it is a valid point. Mm-hmm. And yep. uh, we want people to be aware of that as well.
0: Yeah. And just to know that, you know, faithful pastors are going to continue to offer truth, right? And regardless of the consequences, they're going to speak God's truth to your life. Um, and so that you can receive that. So I think we'll go to some questions if you're good with that, Aaron. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we had a couple of people email and some questions. We won't necessarily get to all of them today, but here's two, I think, or two or three that will be uh, able to cover. And so one is this, the the um, person writing in says in light of the current situation that we live in and to which we are moving towards at a very rapid pace, how do we as Christian parents talk to and prepare our kids,
1: teens, and young adults for what is coming? Well, I think the best way to prepare them for what's coming is to prepare them for what's going on now. And that means you need to talk about the issues in culture you don't want to talk about them in a way that just makes them all afraid and terrified that the world's falling apart. The sky is falling. You want to always put that gospel emphasis on there that, um, this, this world is not our home, that the the gospel gives us hope and healing, um, for the afterlife that in the end, Christ wins that even in our pain and suffering, God is still on his throne. He's still doing a wonderful work. And, There's many great things happening, even in dark times, maybe even more great things happening in dark times when things seem to be good. But really helping your kids, making sure you're debriefing with your children, like talking about, hey, what's your high, what's your low? Um, What are you you hearing from your classmates if they happen to be in some sort of a school? Uh, Playing spot the lie when you're watching TV or shows, listening to music, helping them to, to think critically about the issues of this world. You know, encouraging them to, to speak in an age-appropriate way to their friends about these issues. So um, this, the best preparation for the future is to be instructing your children in the here and now to think through the issues, to understand the difference between good and evil, and to respond to it and to process it in their own lives. And open-ended questions like, hey, what was the lie you just heard in that song? Or what's the lie you just heard in that TV show? Or... Um, what What are your highs and lows right now or or how how are you doing sexually? what th- just having open-ended conversations that aren't awkward and weird with your children in the now is the best way to prepare them for uh, future events. Mm-hmm. Good, very good.
0: Uh, one other question here. Um, could you discuss what transhumanism could mean for Christians and humanity as a whole? and maybe what is transhumanism for those that might not know?
1: Well, it's sort of an evolving thing, of an evolving concept, but the one of the ideas is that kind of taking technology and blending it with our biological functions to enhance human intelligence, human movement, human responses. So whether that's the insertion of chips or bionic parts or whatever it might be, um, there's, there's sort of some experimentation going on there. So we have humans, transhumanism would be sort of to take us to the next level by taking um, the things that we've created and inserting them into our own bodies in order to enhance our abilities. Now, I have no problem if a person is broken with using technology to heal that person. So if a person shatters their femur, you're taking things that we've created, maybe pins, braces, screws, you're opening up the leg, you're screwing a bone back together, you're providing support or rigidity to it, or a person has a, a heart attack and there's damage to the heart and they have to have a, a pig valve put in or a pacemaker put in. This kind of technology in, on principle is to try to take the person back to a measure of health that they enjoyed prior to the illness or prior to the injury. Mm -hmm. But transhumanism is very different in that it's trying to, it's trying to basically um, take human beings to a new and unprecedented level. In this respect, the proponents of transhumanism are playing the role of creator, are playing the role of God, are declaring what God has created good to not be good enough. And so they're trying to enhance it or capitalize upon it. Now, if you're purely a pragmatist and you look at maybe the rationale or reasons behind that, there might be some benefits to that. But what humans tend to do when they start to play the role of God is they always create problems for themselves. So if you, to kind of use some extreme examples, if you start to implant all kinds of parts in athletes in order that they would perform better, you essentially create, you know, bionic men and bionic women. And then the question is, why are you competing at all? Why not not just create robots to compete against other robots? Mm -hmm. So there's some ethical questions there. There's ethical questions pertaining to how nefarious people might use some of these technologies to develop super soldiers, which could cause great harm and damage upon other nations or other individuals. Um, Ultimately, There's a lack of contentedness with who we are and how God has created us. There, there, there can also be a, uh, an underlying desire to try to counteract the results of sin, which result in death to sort of extend life beyond what's sort of natural. Mm -hmm. What's natural is three score and 10. I know some people live less than that or more than that, but that's kind of what's natural. So the fundamentally, one of the problems with transhumanism is motive. Mm. It's, it's trying to deny the consequences of sin. It's trying to ex- It might be trying to extend life unnaturally. It, it's often motivated by people who want to fiddle around with structures and programs within the human body that God has designed. So there's, there's plenty of reasons for us to be um, very skeptical and very concerned about this agenda. But at the same time, if it's just a matter of fixing something that's broken, yes, just like you were a cast, if your arm's broken until it's healed or you might lean in a crutch until your leg's been healed. these are external technologies to help you move some internal technologies to help you stabilize a broken bone or repair a damaged heart, that's fine. But if you're trying to sort of enhance, humanity, sort of come up with humanity 2.0, that that opens up a whole can of worms ethically and really is concerning because I I would see within that an attempt to play the role of God. Mm-hmm. So you're saying no to Captain America, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I did, you know, I'm a little older than you, so I remember the bionic man. Okay. <laughs> who uh, had all these, million dollar man, I think he was called, I think that was in the 70s or early 80s, but he, I think he had an accident and they put all these bionic parts in him so he could just do incredible things. And it's it's a neat idea, but there's a ton of danger attached to that and a lot of ethical questions that it raises. Yeah. Okay. One final question we have here sure. um,
0: regarding how to deal with some family issues. Um, as we, So this this person wrote, writing in says, basically, do we continue to approach family that have bought into these lies about gender Or do we sit back and wait for opportunities as they are presented? The backstory a little bit is they have a a child that is uh, living in a homosexual lifestyle and even raising children in that kind of lifestyle. An adult child. An adult child that's raising their, I I guess it would be presumably grandchild or grandchildren uh, this way. And, you know, they've made efforts to reach out and to address it. And now what? Basically, they don't want to hear. So
1: do you sit back? Do you keep pressing in? What's your wisdom there? Yeah, well, Jesus had challenges ministering in Galilee, sort of his region of upbringing. A prophet's not always welcome in his own home. So it, it is difficult, even in the best of circumstances, to sometimes confront and challenge family members in areas of sinful conduct. Um, we also need to understand that we're not the Holy Spirit, and preaching the same sermon 30 times is not necessarily more effective than preaching it twice. Hmm. If the Holy Spirit's not working and a person is dead in trespasses and sins, repeating yourself over and over again might be symptomatic of a bit of a God complex or lack of trust in God. So there is some wisdom and discretion here. So if, if a family member who doesn't love Christ is engaged in sexual misconduct, well, first of all, you want to make sure that you've, presented to them the full gospel of Jesus Christ, not just challenged one particular area of sin. Um, Because some people are more burdened by a homosexual son or daughter than they are by an an adulterous son or daughter or a lying cheating son or daughter or a dishonest or covetous son or daughter or materialistic son or daughter. So uh, when we're interacting with especially adult children or Relatives, parents, cousins—it's—it's it's fully acceptable for us to teach them, to instruct them, to have a conversation with them that their 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 lifestyle is sinful. It's unacceptable. It's destructive. To help them to understand how their choices are going to affect future generations and how that burdens you. Um, but ultimately, this the the bad news is that we live in a world where. Um, people have the opportunity to live as they so choose and going back over and over again and re-preaching the same sermon to them over and over again probably is just gonna frustrate you and it may not be super effective for them. So I would say if you've never confronted the sin, the fault is with you, but if you've confronted the sin and they continue to live in that sin, the fault is not with you, the fault is Mm -hmm. still clearly with them. I understand the burden of perhaps seeing a grandchild being raised in a home where the parents are leading them astray and you're like, man, my son or daughter are off the rails. Now my grandchildren are gonna be off the rails. I would say use every opportunity that you have to maintain that relationship with your grandchildren and positively influence them in a biblical creational direction. Make sure they understand the full gospel of Jesus Christ and just pray that the Lord would use you. You know, there's there's many examples of people who have followed in the footsteps of their parents, but there's also many examples of people that have repudiated and walked away from the immorality of their parents and embraced the spirituality, the, the godliness of their grandparents. Mm-hmm. So they, they may have the child, whatever, 40 hours a week, and you have them two hours a month. But if you use that time strategically to present to them a positive view of biblical sexuality and you're also praying for them and maybe inviting them to church and these sorts of things, you just got to pray that the Lord would use your efforts Mm -hmm. to bring about um, salvation first Mm -hmm. and foremost, and then uh, a a proper understanding of human sexuality. But I I think that that's always going to be uh, a point of tension for Christians that are interacting with not unsafe, interacting with unsaved uh, relatives. There's always a burden there that we often carry when our lost relatives aren't following Christ. And it is part of the challenge of living in a broken world, but Mm -hmm. we do our part. We try to remain faithful. You don't want to harp on them so much that you completely. um, I mean, if they want to cut you off, they're going to cut you off, but, you don't want to harp on them to the point that you unnecessarily see a complete breakdown of the relationship and then no access to the grandchildren. But if they say, look, if you even mention it once, we're out of here. And you'd say, well, I'm mentioning it. And then they abandon you. What can you do? Mm-hmm. Pray that God brings other people into your grandchildren's life, your children's life that will preach the gospel to them. That might be more effective than, than, than you're going to be.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's good. Well, thank you, Aaron. Appreciate that. And uh, I know our listeners appreciate it as well. Just a reminder to those of you that are listening if you have questions and you would like them addressed on the show, we'll try to get to as many as possible and fit them in. I know we didn't get to all of them from today necessarily, but ask uh, ask at harvestwindsor.ca. Uh, that would be where you send your email. Also, just a quick reminder for our listeners, you can find this podcast on the CJXC Radio, Canada's Constant Christian Companion. Look them, look Leadership Now up there online. It's on Tuesdays and Thursdays, played twice. And then also on the Fight, Laugh, Feast network and their app. And uh, really important to download the app and then you can get a bunch of other shows that will uh, just give you opportunity to not only listen to one hour a week of solid content, but lots of stuff. Uh, And so make sure to download the Fight, Laugh, Feast app from the flfnetwork.com website. And that is the show for today. Tune back next week for another episode of Leadership Now with Dr.
1: Aaron Rock.